tomorrow will take care of itself. <laughs> Eternity will definitely take care of itself because frankly, you know a whole lot you can do about it. But this life, this life, this life can be so different if you live the life that Jesus has created for you to live. He has designed it for you. He's carved it out. He's made a place for you to live this life fully, completely. Today, well, actually tomorrow, is my birthday. And in many ways, it's so much more important than the one I celebrate in April. Because 28 years ago, I started to live. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? Hey, welcome back to the podcast. And it's episode 41, and it's my spiritual birthday. It also happens to be uh, the birthday of our country. Lots happening. I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, you can check out the last couple of episodes. We talked a little bit about some of the things going on. And actually, I was re-listening re to some of the episodes, so... Pretty much before episode 25, just start at episode 25, 26, and just go from there. I had several people over the last, I don't know, a few weeks, a couple months, ask me to tell more about my story, which um, if you listen to episode 17, uh, I tell, I go to great length about my story, actually. Uh, that episode's pretty long, about an hour long, and talk about how I came to faith in Christ get my call to ministry, and then planted the church. Not as much about planting the church, but definitely uh, coming to faith in Christ. And my friend Jen interviews me, so go back and listen to that one if you really want to hear more about, if you want to hear more about my testimony. I, st I went back and I listened to it yesterday because I wanted to see just how much of my story that I shared. It's interesting, now... Today, so actually tomorrow, July 5th, 1992, is my spiritual birthday. So interestingly enough, July 5th is on a Sunday again this year, and I'll be preaching. So it's kind of full circle, I think, because I, I, you know, part of my sinner's prayer, and I, I talk about that in, in episode 17, was wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, I am willing to do it. Um, just, you know, my prayer was just take my life because... You know, I, I can't keep doing this. And really kind of gave this whole God thing. It was a last-ditch effort to find peace in my life. And tomorrow I'm going to be preaching on It's a Peaceable Kingdom. Didn't, didn't orchestrate that. Pretty much pretty confident that that was the Spirit's doing. Uh, anyway, I was listening to that episode because people asked me to tell my story. And, and now that it's been 28 years, I, I think myself, man, I told my story so many times. And then I forget that, you know, you meet new people and they don't know. Um, 
and it is a fascination. And I, it's, I find it fascinating myself, especially people who have adult conversions. I, I don't like that phrase, conversion, but people who grow up in the church, faith is just a normal part of your life. And praying and reading the Bible and going to church, especially if you're from the evangelical slant um, or part of the church, uh, that's just your life. And and I, I know I have many friends and pastor friends also who say, I just really don't ever remember a time not knowing God or not knowing Jesus. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's the way God designed it to me. If you look back into the Old Testament, he was, God commanded the Israelites, talk about this faith, talk about me with your children when you whether you're standing or sitting or walking along just as make it part of your life part of how you live your life so that this relationship with me would just be a normal part of life and sometimes it's so hard to articulate what it's like to not have that as your normal and i think about all of the things that I have gone through in the last 28 years, um, personal struggles, marital struggles, financial, relational work, whatever they have, whatever category you want to put them in, I can't imagine how much harder they would be without God, except that I can, right? Because for 22 years, that's how I lived my life. I still find it overwhelming, um, just kind of blows my mind that I've been a Christian longer than I wasn't a Christian. Like it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like I've been a Christian for 28 years. The part of my life beforehand, I, I very much remember approaching decisions and situations and problems and, and even good things, right? Um, adventures, without having any concept of, of God or like it didn't even cross my mind. Like you made decisions and it never once crossed my mind to pray about it, to see what God would have to say about it. It just wasn't a part of your life. And then now to have the complete opposite, that I, I would not make a decision without first praying about it, um, seeking advice from others, um, that I can trust that, uh, uh, with godly counsel, uh, reading the scriptures to see what the spirit would say to me in making my decisions. And so there's still very much this before and after part of my life. And it, it feel, it still feels as if they're, they're almost balanced. Like it, like it doesn't feel like it's been 28 years I've been walking with Jesus and 22 years that I wasn't. And I think it's because so much of my life was already hardwired. So part, so much of my, my thinking, so much of um, the way I lived my life was so hardwired by the time I came to faith in Christ that you really have to be intentional to allow God to undo those things in your life. And still... Even talking about my life before Christ, or even in the early days walking with Christ, 
can sometimes trigger a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression um, in me. So I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, just doing this episode and just today, even getting ready to talk about it. Um, I'm like, wow, I've, there's just this anxiety, like I feel it rising up within me, this anxiety, even though you know you have been forgiven in Christ, even though you know uh, how much peace and joy that he has brought into your life, there is this desire to separate myself. There is this desire to not want to have anything to do with the person I was before I knew Christ. And I often wonder if that's why so many Christians don't have non-Christian friends, right? Because you just want to separate yourself from anything that would make you think about those things. And sometimes I see people living the way I used to live and making decisions. And as much as I want to help them, it begins to just also raise up all this anxiety within me. Um, so I didn't grow up in the church, which I already talked about. You know, my family was Catholic. And I think back to my earliest, earliest memories in childhood, there are no real memories. There are no faith memories. So the, the closest I would say I have is um, when I would be with my grandparents on my mom's side of the family. So my maternal grandparents, and they would have some kind of a function. So we would have a birthday party where they would be having the Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, or Easter dinner. And before the meal, we would all pray. It's a, a classic Catholic meal prayer. I don't know who wrote it. It's probably in uh, a catechism somewhere. Um, Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. And that is the only memory I have. Now, for my Catholic friends who may be listening, you started reciting that prayer with me, probably. Uh, when we have family gatherings still, occasionally, if uh, that side of the family is leading it and they pray for the meal, that is the prayer that we pray. And, uh, I remember at my wedding, I think I asked my uncle to pray the blessing. The priest wasn't there at the wedding. So when I got married, I asked, I think I asked my uncle, and this is the prayer that he prayed over the meal, which being a, being a wedding photographer for 10 years, uh, I heard a lot of meal prayers at weddings and very rarely did I hear anybody pray that prayer. Um, but once a Catholic, always a Catholic is what, is what we say. So that's really the earliest memory that I have. And my, my grandfather's mother passed away. Uh, I have no memories of her whatsoever. So it would have been my great grandmother, uh, great grandma Arshambo. And they would have a mass once a year said for her. And about the only memory I have is going to mass. And then afterwards, I think we would go to the holiday inn for like some kind of a banquet or something like that. But I mean, these, these were the only memories I had and there was nothing really spiritual about them. Like there was no, they were, they're almost out of context, but yet I know that they planted seeds. My 
grandparents were very active in the Catholic Church uh, on my mom's side. And my um, grandmother made a big deal about us making our sacraments. And that we needed to make our, we had been baptized as infants, but we needed to make our first communion, our first confession, uh, our confirmation. I don't know if there are other sacraments in there. I think there probably are, but I've forgotten since then. Uh, but I do remember going to catechism. I remember being in catechism and my heart being stirred to the things of God and just having so many questions and such a desire um, to know God and always having this sense of there was nobody I could talk to. Like even when I tried to ask questions of the nuns and the priests and the catechism teachers, nobody seemed to have answers or nobody wanted to dialogue about this God that we were learning about every week. And this inner spiritual frustration that was constantly there to have this hunger to know more and yet have no one to talk to and just remember feeling very much spiritually alone. But I think I just felt alone in general. Like when I look back at my childhood, I I just thought, I just remember having so many ideas and thoughts and things that I reflected on and stuff I was, stuff I read, stuff I was reading and feeling like I had no one to talk to about these deep, deep thoughts and ideas that I had um, and, and just really feeling alone. And so I don't know if it's, it carried over into the spiritual realm or if the spiritual realm just kind of carried over into everything else. But there is this constant sense of having a desire to know these deeper things and having no one to talk to and no one to ask. And when I was in sixth grade, we made our confirmation. So the the Catholic church I was going to was pretty progressive, which for all my evangelical people who are listening to this, they're going to be like, this is, this is so I know this makes totally no sense to you, but the Catholic church that we went to was very progressive. Um, they had, they were one of the first Catholic churches to put Bibles in the pews. I know, I know, I know. And they felt like that we, they, we needed to be introduced to the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit much earlier. And so they moved, um, confirmation up to sixth grade. They felt like this is when, uh, as we were all hitting puberty where we needed to confirm our faith and we needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to carry us through some really major things that are going to happen as we go through junior high and high school and all of these developmental changes that are getting ready to take place. And I mean, now I look back and I think genius, right? So I was one of the first catechism classes at this particular Catholic church to go through what we call confirmation. Evangelical churches might call it um, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, just my heart being stirred in so many different ways. And throughout that whole year, as we were preparing for catechism, and then I was confirmed, my parents were struggling. 
And I just knew, like I knew, I knew that I knew that this was going to end in divorce. And it was a pretty big deal for me. And, and there are a lot of people who come from divorced homes. So like, it's, not, it's not like this is something new. It's not like nobody goes through this. But it was a big deal, I think, for our family because so many of my aunts and uncles were divorced. Like it was almost a badge of honor to not have your marriage make it. And, and now all of my aunts and uncles, most of them have been married and divorced multiple times. Uh, I think I have an uncle who's been married and divorced five times, six times, something like that. Uh, but women were just something to pass your time. You found one, you married them for a while, and then you moved on to another one and you threw them away. And that really was the attitude overall in our family. And I'm just, I'm talking about extended family. Um, women really have one purpose and that was to make men happy. And when they were no longer happy, then they were set aside and someone else took their place. And I think I had, because of this, going through this catechism, this in my, in sixth grade, and this experience with the person of the Holy Spirit and, and beginning to understand a little bit more, um, it's probably the only time in my life, in my childhood, that I ever remember praying. And I remember praying that year as if my life depended on it. And just praying and praying for my parents' marriage and for well, so many things, because there's a lot of turmoil going on around us in our extended families as well not just nuclear family. And I just remember praying so hard and then sitting, you know, my, and then one day my parents sat us down at the table and told us they were getting a divorce because my dad had found someone else. And I don't know that parents out there really understand how much it affects your kids. Of course, I'm saying this and then assuming I actually go ahead and publish this and don't edit it out and my mom listens to it. It's okay, mom. But I, I, I recognize that the two things, those two things came together, just collided at probably one of the most, probably the worst time ever. Although I don't know that, that, that there's ever a good time, Right. But having this profound encounter with God and also watching my parents' marriage come apart and also hitting puberty at the same time, um, and then everything, of course, upending, moving, new schools, new friends. And I, <laughs> I've often looked back and thought to myself, if 50% of the populate, if 50% of marriages end in divorce, why is it that I had no friends who came from divorced homes? I don't understand how that worked, but I don't think I had a friend until high school who came from a divorced home. Um, and I can tell you her name was Dawn and she was the first friend I ever had who came from a divorced home, which is probably why we were best friends because we were, could understand and relate to one another. Um, whereas our other friends just could not relate at all, but it's not lost on me that those things all hit, hit together, came together 
uh, collided and created the perfect storm to move me towards being an atheist. And I think if there have been people in my life where I could talk to about, especially about the spiritual things that were on my heart, that were, um, that had so many questions and, and just being able to process these deep, deep thoughts about God and relationships and the world and the universe, that probably if I had had someone in my life, it would have gone a completely different way. But because there was a void, uh, it was very easy to move right in to, to that and to find other things to fill that void. And so, so if you're listening, so I guess maybe, well, I don't know. I'm going to have to edit the crap out of this thing. But if you, if you see your preteens and your young teens, man, find somebody for them to just ask the tough questions and try not to give them the answers. They don't need you to tell them what to think. They need you to teach them how to think. They need you to allow them permission to experiment and to explore and to ask the deep questions and to wrestle with them and to find the answers in their own time and in their own way so that they can take ownership of those things. But they do need a place where they can process all of their stuff, all of their questions. I, I, I recognize that it was that massive void of having all of these deep, deep ideas and questions and speculations and reflections and much of it philosophical and spiritual in nature and having no one to talk to, uh, left that, left that void, that sense of being isolated, um, and being of being alone so that uh, by the time I was married for a year, uh, it all came to a head. And I know I have enough self-awareness now, 28 years later, and a lot of, a lot of, um, psychology, a lot of reading, enough education to recognize that my new marriage was very much a trigger and I had to deal with it, which is why I became profoundly depressed and anxious and suicidal. But for the first time in my life, there were people in my, there were people that I could talk to about these things. And there were people in my life who began talking to me about spiritual things. Even though I didn't believe in them, they were talking to me about their own spirituality. They were talking to me about their own relationship with Jesus Christ. They were talking to me about their own relationship with the divine. And because they were talking about their own relationship, it wasn't threatening. And what we like to do is we like to tell other people what to think and, and this and what to believe instead of just talking about who we are because of Christ. Instead of just talking about the peace that has come because of this new relationship we have with Jesus. And us just talking about our own experience will create an atmosphere where others feel 
um, compelled to begin asking questions, to begin giving themselves permission to have a desire for spiritual things, to have, um, to giving them permission without even realizing you're doing it to explore the deeper things. My mom came to faith in Christ a few years before me and watching her change and watching her transformation, um, watching her transformation was very impactful. And again, never said, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to believe. She just out of genuine, authentic passion for God started talking about all of the things she was learning about this encounter that she was having as you, as I, as I watched that there was, I want to say envy or a jealousy, but I want to use that term in a negative way. It was a yearning for what she had. And then, um, my husband and I got married shortly before we got married. His oldest brother and his wife came to saving faith in Christ in the Methodist church. Um, so we got married in September and then for our first Christmas in December, they were brand new Christians. I mean, I don't know. They might've been maybe six months, maybe a year. I don't know. And gave us a Bible. And it was one of those like coffee table Bibles, you know, I mean, I don't know that you're, I don't know. You're supposed to read this thing. (laughs) I don't know. Um, but I, I mean, I put it on my bookshelf. I had, I really had at that point, no desire to read it. I did read the book of revelation and that just scared the crap out of me. So I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I'll just never mind. But same with them. I watched some things happen in their lives. There was just transformation that took place and started having this hunger again. And maybe it was a hunger of what could be, what my future could be, right? Like my husband and I had made a pact that um, we would do everything within our power to stay married. Everything within our power to stay married, whether it was counseling or whatever, but we were going to do whatever it took, which I highly recommend. That's still something uh, I tell people, man, make a pact before you say I do, that these are the steps we will take. Well, not if we get to that place, but when we get to that place. Uh, and we have had, we've had to pull out that unofficial I mean, we never wrote it down, but we've had to, we've both had to call one another on it at different points in the last 29 years of marriage and say, remember, this is what we said we were going to do in order to get through it. But I also know that there is no way we would have made it 29 years if Jesus hadn't come into our lives 28 years ago. We were already headed down that road within 12 months. Uh, and some of it was self-fulfilling prophecy. Some of it was the anxiety um, that was building up within me of we're not going to make it. Uh, I'm going to repeat all the same mistakes as my family. And it would be better off to dissolve it now than to have kids and then dissolve it. And I think that was the thing that plagued me for probably the first four or five years of even after I became a Christian, if this isn't going to work, then dissolve it now. I'm not putting kids through that. This isn't going to work. Um, so those, even those first few years after being a Christian, it was every day taking that anxiety and taking that depression and taking that fear to the cross and saying, 
You have to be faithful. I am trusting you to be faithful. You need to be faithful. And I will just tell you, after 29 years, that God has been faithful. There has been lots of great things, and there have been lots and lots of painful, painful moments. I can't imagine doing these last 28 years without God walking through with us through every single one, without having someone to turn to, probably the thing that Jesus has done more than anything else is maybe for the first time I don't feel alone, even when I am alone. And there are still times when things are really tough. And I will say to God, I am I feel so alone and he will remind me every time, but you're not alone. And he doesn't just remind me that he is with me, but he reminds me of the people he has put in my life. The ones I can count on, the ones I can trust, the ones I can talk to about the deepest spiritual ideas and philosophies the deep questions, the big questions of this world. He has been faithful to always have someone in my life, even if it was just one person that I could turn to. Uh, I don't know if I've actually told you any more than what I did before, but in episode 17. So I, I guess I'm going to wrap up with this. It was July 5th, and on the night before, I, I had spent I had spent a couple of weeks preparing, um, getting my affairs in order and preparing to end my life. Um, and on the outside, my, my, my life looked great and really it was great. We, we were newly married. We had just bought a house. We both had jobs and my pain, my, my spiritual pain, my depression was, was an emptiness that only God could fill. It really, really was. I I did not know that, but I, I had decided to take my life. But July 4th, that night, in making plans of how I had this strange thought, what if I gave God a try? And there's no doubt in my mind that that was the Spirit of God. And I didn't, I didn't go to church, so I didn't know where to go. I wasn't going to go to my brother-in-law's, sister-in-law's church, because that was weird. I mean, it... It's not weird. It was a Methodist church. I'm like, it was weird to me because I didn't go to church and my only framework I had was the Catholic church. And I just knew somebody who had gone to St. Edith for some reason. And so I thought that that's where I would go. I don't even know. I must have called. I must have called their number because this was like pre-internet, right? And I went to mass and I knew when to stand and when to kneel and when to sit. I knew the responses. I knew when to cross myself. I knew enough about communion, which is really the only reason I went anyway, was to receive communion. And so I went forward and I received communion and I came back and knelt at my pew because that's what you do in the Catholic church and prayed. And I prayed that prayer. I don't know how I'm going to do this thing called life anymore. I can't, I can't do it. I can't keep going but I'm going to give you a try and wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do whatever you want me to say. I'll say, I am surrendering my life to you for 
I don't know. I don't know that I put a time limit on it, but I think maybe in my mind, I'm like, Hey, I'll give you a year or whatever. And almost in a, um, like a, by the way, I said, Oh yeah, this Jesus person, I don't get what he has to do with you. So help me figure that out. Cause my brother-in-law, sister-in-law keep talking about Jesus and I just don't, I don't get it. That was kind of my prayer. I do remember feeling so much lighter. Man, when I walk out of that church, oh, the weight of the world was gone. And I went home and my husband, of course, was gone for that weekend. You have to listen to episode 17. I'm not going to go through all that. But we weren't separated. He was just out of town. And made some coffee, sat down on the couch, watching the birds out the window and said, hey, that Bible. Uh, yeah, John's gospel, John's gospel. Let me tell you, in the Catholic church, if you get nothing else, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are about Jesus. And some of my Protestant friends could do a little better to remember that and maybe spend a little more time in it. All right. And in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And to all those who received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. For we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. And by the time I got to that verse, I understood that Jesus was God in the flesh. I remember both being astounded, amazed, angry that no one had told me, which uh, they could have. (laughs) They could have. But for the first time ever, and I've often thought, how does that happen? Like, how do you help someone? Why did it take 22 years for my eyes to be opened? Why did it happen sooner? And why did it happen later? Why did it have, why did it happen on that day at that time that I understood that who Jesus was and just fell down on my face and wept and asked forgiveness and him to show me everything that I had missed and help me to know who he is and how I could live my life in this new way and didn't even understand the whole eternal life thing. Frankly, I was just trying to get through the day. Anyone who's experienced anxiety and depression, you know what I mean. I just need help today. I don't care about what happens when I die. I just need to figure out how to live. I think I spent that first year just trying to figure out how to live. Maybe, maybe it's what gets me so frustrated as a pastor. So many Christians are just waiting to die. And Jesus just wants you to learn how to live. Just live this life. Live this life. Every moment of it. Be in it. Tomorrow will take care of itself. (laughs) Eternity will definitely take care of itself. Because frankly, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But this life, this life, this life can be so different. If you live the life that Jesus has created for you to live. He has designed it for you. He's carved it out. He's 
made a place for you to live this life fully, completely. Today, well, actually tomorrow, is my birthday. And in many ways, it's so much more important than the one I celebrate in April. Because 28 years ago, I started to live 